The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Mike'sArchery.com. They're a one-stop shop for virtually everything archery, bow hunting, and for your next outdoor adventure. Mike's Archery has been at the top of the archery game for over 50 years, and they want to give listeners of the Redneck Tech Podcast 10% off their entire online store using the code REDNECK10, all one word. Just put the code in before you check out, and your boys will hook you up. The guys at Mike's have always been good to us, and now they can be good to you too. Visit mikesarchery.com and get your gear now. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Yeah. And we're back. Episode 185. We're calling this one Spitball, and Ryan and I have been sitting up here for, what, 30 minutes? Yeah. Trying a new setup. Um, Eventually, there's going to be a three-camera, just because we – I think we're not going to go live anymore. We we don't – we haven't made up our minds yet. But um, we just want it to look better for you guys, um, make the content better. Um, It's going to cost us a little extra money. But hey, you know what? What is what is money anymore? I mean, we're just made of it, right? I wish. Um, so I don't know. Money seems to be more more important these days. Yeah, more important than ever. But so we're gonna call this one spitballing because that's literally what Ryan and I've been doing is spitballing for about the last thirty minutes on what we're gonna talk about, and we ended up talking about about seventy five different things. So I was like, let's just turn the podcast on, turn the live on, and see where it goes. So we are live on Instagram. We're live on YouTube. The YouTube sounds a lot better than the Instagram does because we still haven't figured out a good way to route audio into there, which we're still working on. But um, you're going to have to scoot in because you're almost out of the frame. Or I'm going to have to scoot back here, and you're going to have to scoot in. Um, yeah, we're going to have to back that 50 up some. But anyway. Um, oh, careful. Oh, your phone's over there? My yeah. bad. I'm using your laptop to prop up my phone so that uh, – I don't have to hold it, and I don't have to go like this to look at it. Nice. So, um, I'll, if you're on the Redneck Tech Live, um, feel free to chime in, ask questions, comments, uh, withhold any concerns, and make sure everything is very positive. <laughs> and sorry about the technical difficulties on this one. You hold on, Winter uh, Nathan Winterstein said, "Use the." LR out of the board as a splitter into a mini to the camera. I have that. I mean, I have that cable. I feel like we've done that, though. Yeah, well, there was some crazy sound feedback. And I have a left-right. Yeah, I do, too. Um, the problem is, doesn't our left-right go to this? No. Well, there's another one over there. There's like a monitor left-right. I feel like I tried that. Because I, de- I definitely, because I remember having the quarter stereo left-right into a quarter-inch to 3.5-millimeter jack converter yeah. into a big 3.5, which then went to the, that little, um, the 3.5 to lightning adapter, yeah. Yeah. and it... Did it not work? I don't remember. Or was our 3.5 not big enough, maybe? I don't remember. But if you guys are wondering on the Instagram Live what this T-shirt is, it's to flag off some light from back there. 
Um, it was just an idea. Never tried it. Oh, nice. Okay, well. I feel like we have. I mean, I could try it right now. If I can find the parts immediately accessible. I mean, there's a, whole, there's a whole there's a whole, um, table full of plugins back there. I mean. Do we want to try it? I mean, I, not really, but okay. well, this says. We'll try it in like. Red Force says your left-right monitor needs to have its own power source, I believe. As I've tried it as well. Well, this would it would have its own power source. It's coming out of the roadcaster. Maybe the road doesn't send phantom power. Yeah, but it shouldn't need phantom power just to. You wouldn't think. Audio is a very weird and interesting yes, place. Yes, it is. Like the amount of rings on this. Yeah, is important. Will cause something <laughs> to be incompatible because this, like a stereo, will have two, but if you've got a mic on the cord, it'll have three. Yeah. And a mono will only have one. So if you try to mix them all. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Trash. Yeah. Yeah, we were going to do this on the R5. We thought, like, man, that looks steezy and sexy, but we forgot the R5 will overheat if we leave it on there for an hour. So the old trusty 5D Mark IV that Ryer recently, quote, unquote, retired to their podcast room is what we're doing this podcast on today. And it does oh, look like it's coming not, through. What? That's not the uh, – I was thinking of the 6D. The 6D is in the graveyard for a reason I – have since forgotten because well, that's why you got I had the, the 5D, 5D Mark IV. Yeah. No, but I we had to get the 5D because my 60 was on the fritz. Something happened to it. I forget what it was, but like it wasn't working. I don't remember, but it works perfectly for our podcast so far. Yeah, there was something weird going on with it. Anyway. I just forget what it was. So spitballing, we Ryer had a couple things he wanted to talk about. I had a couple things I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about movies again, but we've done that before. But that was our most listened to podcast ever. I might talk about a series. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But what, what is it you want to talk about? I'll let you go first. Um, I wanted to talk about just some stuff that I've been doing to try to further my own education as a mostly an editor mm-hmm. um, and a storyteller, but uh, also, I guess, as a shooter as well because everything kind of um, cross pollinates when you are a multi tool, as you must be in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Swiss Army knife, if you will. I'm, I, I'd rather be like an American Army knife. I'd rather be a Leatherman. Just can do it all. Leatherman's good. Yeah, but but here's the problem with Leatherman. It, it didn't really do anything great. It just does a bunch of little things. Okay, so maybe a Leatherman's not a good idea. Not a good analogy. Because I want to be really good at a couple of them. I'd rather be an A-10 Warthog. <laughs> if I was, if I, if we're like, hey, you could choose to be any weapon you want to be. <laughs> I would, I would probably be an A-10 Warthog, which is a plane that's really just only good at one thing. Nasty. And it's wrecking things on the ground. It, it's not fast. It's not pretty. But like, the, if you're on the ground and it is above you and it doesn't want you to be on the ground anymore, <laughs> you will no longer be on the ground. Peter Berg just did a podcast with Rogan I've been listening to, and he's like, you know, they've got these helicopters now that they, they put these masks on, and he's like, "Oh yeah, and they look where around. they turn their head, mm-hmm. the helicopter goes where they turn their head, and then where they move their eyes, the guns go. So if they look at you, they kill you. He's like, I've seen the Mona Lisa. I've seen Notre Dame. I've seen many Van Goghs, and they're beautiful. But who's building cooler than that? And I'm like, nobody, dude. And Rogan's just laughing. And that's the truth. It's like, he's like, the innovation, the technology. He said, think about 
where we're the best at. And he's like, it's all in weapon systems. He's like, I'm looking at, he's like, we got to tour this submarine. Y'all need to listen to the podcast. It's pretty good. This nuclear submarine that had like, can't remember how many nuclear warheads in it. He's like, how much are those? And they're like, we can't tell you. He walks into like the navigation room. He's like, how much is all that? And they're like, we can't tell you. He's like billions of dollars on this one ship. And he's like, and I was standing at uh, Pearl Harbor and there was seven of them. He's like, why do we need seven? He said, one would destroy the world and we have seven. Mutually assured destruction. Yeah, but like we have thousands and thousands of nuclear warheads. Oh, yeah. One's going to do the job. Why we need thousands? Russia's a very large country. <sighs> Dude. You would need, like, you know, if it was like Russia. Yeah, but they, everybody lives in one spot. If you look at the population density of Russia, it's like three places and then everything else is a desolate. Yeah, I mean, why would you want to live anywhere but those three places in Russia? That but, would, everywhere else in Russia is just cold. But you know, like, I've always wanted to go to Siberia. I've always had this, like, fascination. With I'd love to go to Sa- St. Petersburg. Oh, uh, I'd love to go there. I want to go to it Siberia. Cool. Like, I want to ride the Trans-Siberian Railway. Like, it's like 40 hours straight wilderness. Will like, you also be listening to the orchestra? Absolutely, the whole time. <laughs> I just want to get on that train and just go into the woods, and then it just be woods for 40 hours. Can you imagine? I I think I got maybe like two hours, and I was like, all right, that's enough woods. Be the best <clears> sleep <throat> I'd ever gotten, though. That's the best sleep I ever got was on a tour bus, only in Tiff's old tour bus. Really? Oh, dude, going down the road, bottom bunk. They had blackout curtains. Just going down the road and that air ride and that bus. Oh, man, I've never slept so good in my life. Have you ever seen, this goes back like a minute and a half in the conversation, but <laughs> have you ever seen those TikToks where it is like playing a metal song, probably like Enter Sandman, and uh, it's like insert name of country here is about to find out why the U.S. doesn't have national health care, <laughs> and it's just the military rolling in. That's that, why. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, I, we, but there goes the spitballing podcast. Went way off on a tangent there. Um, so you've been, I know you've been doing a lot of independent work and research and reading, and you even subscribed to a magazine here recently to try and better yourself and completely, mm-hmm. you know, that was something that Rob Kenny, when I was on the phone with him, he's like, he bragged on you big time. It's like nobody that I know works on themselves and tries to get better more than Ryer. It's like that guy is a gym. I'm like, ah, he's okay. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd call myself a gym. I'm looking a little bit more like a fast food restaurant yeah, at the moment. Well. Although I did lose ten pounds in about five days in British Columbia. Yeah, but have you gotten it back since you got back yet? I don't know, and I won't be able to know because I can't use the same scales. I weighed myself up there, so oh. you're, yeah, you know, you can't account for the error. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks, Rob. Rob's a real one. He's a G. He is. I like Rob. Him and I. I think connected on first sight when realizing that we were both gingers. And so we come from a shared life experience of just getting Mis- picked on forever. And misunderstood. Just yeah, misunderstood. for no reason. Yeah. For no reason. You know, just hate. Y'all really ride that wagon, though, big time. Y'all gingers, man. And you well, lost your cross eye, so you don't have that anymore. So now it's all about being a ging. It's always all about being a ging. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, I think that people are racist towards gingers. And uh, I've had to deal with that. So, you know, when you meet somebody else who's come from that that life experience, you connect with them. And Rob and I did. And, uh, yeah, I think that something that I've always tried to do, and this has probably been, like, I think my parents probably instilled this in me when I was a kid. But 
like always trying to better yourself and develop your skills in whatever area it may be. Um, and I think that <clears throat> I think that a lot of times in the creative industry, uh, one people rest on their laurels, and two, uh, I don't I don't know if people really go and seek out resources to learn about their craft and their and the trade of you know video editing and cinematography and everything that's involved in it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is. I think that one, because you can kind of like, you don't have to do it, right? You can learn enough on YouTube and by doing it that your work looks good and is is to a level that will get you the work that you want to do. And that's fine. You know, I mean, I, I certainly think that not everybody needs to or wants to um, be constantly trying to um, fine-tune their craft. Mm-hmm. But I think that, and I th- this goes for almost any, any career, um, I think that what separates the people who stand out and the rest of everybody in whatever career is usually the little things that they're doing quote unquote off the court, right? Mm-hmm. To better themselves and to better their gameplay. Like when you watch a documentary on whatever great athlete um from any sport, yeah. At some point in that documentary, somebody is gonna say, Yeah, he was the hardest worker in the room. Mm-hmm. He was always watching film. He was always picking apart his own place. He was always, you know, seeking to be better. He was always taking mentorship from his coaches. He was always putting in 500 extra free throws after practice. He yeah. was always, Kobe's always been doing the that. extra weights or doing this, that, and the other thing. And I think that sometimes in the creative field, I, it's not as easy. It's not as easy to do that because what, what is that, right? What's the extra work that you're putting in off the court, you know? Our on-the-court is obviously filming in the field and editing. Um, so when you're on the court, obviously you play as hard as you – and work as hard as you can, but what are the things that you're doing off the court? And that's a hard question to answer. You know, what are you supposed to do to make yourself better? And for me, I think that uh, – uh, I think that one of those things is intentionally trying to find resources to consume that aren't just entertainment and are from people who have been there and done that and are some of the greats of this industry. Um, and so, like, I like to go get books. I know that, like, not a lot of people like to read. Um, but there's a ton, a ton of books written by people who work at the highest levels of the creative industry. Uh, usually those books are by people working in Hollywood or high-level TV production, um, neither of which I really care to be involved in. Yeah, same. Like, I don't want to – I don't really want to work on a Hollywood movie. Um, I don't really want to work on, like, a big network narrative television show 
But at the end of the day, all of the things that they say are transferable in some regards to uh, what we do every day. And so I've found that reading some of those books, trying to listen to some of those podcasts, trying to find interviews with those people, behind the scenes stuff, all of that kind of things and consuming it gives me, that's my off the court work. Um, Oh, what? The Instagram live's doing something real funny. I don't know what it's doing. It just had a freak out. Um, and I think also trying to look and view things that maybe aren't necessarily what we do and I do. Uh, I know you and I talk about all the time consuming media that's not from the hunting industry. Which is virtually all I consume anymore. Yeah, but I like to go... That did change for me last night. I want to talk about that. Thank, okay. thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think further, and I think this is part of me trying not to ever like fall into a rut, but like reading stories versus just watching stories. Um, obviously watching movies and TV shows that I wouldn't necessarily watch and then trying to, like I like to listen to classical music sometimes. Which is very odd. Most people don't like to listen to classical music. You're not bird rider. Yeah, I think people know that. Yeah, but I think that there's uh, like a different type of inspiration you can pull from classical music. Like I listen to classical music, and I don't think about it as music. I like my I listen to it, and my brain comes up with like what what scene would this be? What's going on in this scene? Uh, I hear music all the time. I hear hear music all the time that I'm like, oh, this would be a really cool X, Y, and Z, a really cool recovery a really cool you know right you know hiking up a mountain this would be a really cool you know suspenseful lead up into yeah I mean, i'd do that too not with classical but definitely you do that in music and i and i think i like to do it with classical because when you watch a movie that's a large majority of the type of music that's in there um and i definitely feel like it's underutilized and kind of people shy away from it because they may not like really know what to look for or how to utilize that kind of music in an edit. Um, but generally, I think, long story short, I, th- I think that if you want to be good in this industry and as a creator, I think you constantly have to try to be educating yourself and evolving. I think you got to be able to, one, um, want to and seek out those avenues of knowledge in the form of books and magazines and podcasts and lectures and whatever else and intake those all the time. And then you also have to like watch film. I think you got to look at your stuff constantly and go, how can I make it better? How can I do it better? How come I don't like this? What Mm -hmm, didn't I like about this and how can I do it better? Yeah. And that might segue really well into what I want to talk about. One I also of the things I want to talk about too. some of the things that yeah. I've read. Well, I'll I'll use my segue in a minute, but just I want to not add to I'm that. But I gotta fix that. I want to say, um, it, it it's also a testament to that. It shows how passionate you are about what you do, which I think that a lot of people um, don't don't have the fortune that we do and have a job that they're like, 
I want to get better at this thing. I want to be the best there is. I want to. I want to be the very best. Well, I they they don't want to look at when they get home from whatever their job is. If they don't enjoy it or they're not passionate about it, the last thing they're going to think about is how do I get better at this thing. You know, how do I become more efficient at this? They're looking at either how how I can make more money or how I can upsell or how I can do less work and make more money. They're not looking at how do I put my art in a platform in front of the eyeballs that people go, that moved me, that did something to me. Um, and I think that that's, I, I look at that and I have to remind myself all the time how blessed we are to get to do something like that. You know, not, not, not and I'm also not going to be the first person to sit here and say, or I will be the first person to sit here and say, there's not pieces, there's pieces of content that we've done that we're like, eh, you know, they're okay. Or, you know, we have to do that to pay the bills. Like yeah. that's just part it of is life. What it is. But there's been a handful, um, you know, some current projects that we're working on that are like, as my grandmother says, they really blow our skirt up. That that's what we really want to do. And, we watch it and people watch it and they like it, but we're like, we can do it better. How do we make it? Like that's, that's my, the thing I go to with my little, my kids all the time when I put them to bed, I'm like, how can I be 1% better tomorrow than I was today? Or not even, you know, listen, all right, that's, I mean, 1%, that's a lot in hundred days. Technically you should be hundred percent better. 0.1% better tomorrow than I was today. Mm-hmm. I mean, just striving <laughs> to do something a little bit better every, every day. Um, and then taking that time, like I don't do as much anymore. I used to do a lot of what you do of trying to get better at my craft and this, that, and the other. Now that my role has changed a little bit now, like I listened to the one with Peter Berg because I've watched a lot of stuff that Peter Berg did, has done, which, you know, I, I like him as a director, but listen to some of the insights on how he goes about getting a project how he goes about getting a project funded, where that project came from, um, how he gets an idea and now turns that into a large docuseries or a docudrama or whatever. Like that's, that's where my energy has shifted is like, how do we take the 9 million ideas that bounce around these walls on any given day and turn those into projects that we are again, something that blow our skirt up that we can make money on that we can do different than the 97,000 hunting shows that are already out there. And that's where, that's where my, you know, my extra energy has went into like, how does, how does the series come to fruition? Now we've, I've been fortunate enough to get to see a couple of series go from ideas to fruition. Mm-hmm. You know, the habit was, um, one that I, wasn't my idea, but I, I kind of made that one go. Make it happen was always my idea from the very beginning, and got you know fortunate enough to still be get to work on it. Boot leather was, you know, it was a collective, but the the, the beginning the the initial idea was mine. I met Chris and had the idea, and then you jumped in and made it better, and then Clay jumped in and made it better, and Bergara jumped in and made it even better. And which that's what I think. You know, I'm I'm, I'm really good at the the ten thousand foot view. Mm-hmm. but I really look to you and to Clay and to Joe and to, you know, whatever the client is to say, hey, here's the 10,000-foot idea, slide it across the table and say, okay, how do we make this thing really, really cool? Like I can see the the, the big idea in my head, but when we're drilling down to the dailies and the, the, the this hunt, like I, I usually have an idea to where it's like, okay, here's the, the major concept. 
of, you know, let's just take boot leather's example. Like I met Chris. Chris is awesome. Works harder than anybody I've ever met. Trashes boots like left and right. We came up with the idea of boot leather. And it's like, okay, essentially the idea is like, how do we follow a guide that's complete, that's always successful and show the work that goes into it. And I know that here's the couple hunts we want to do. And here's the concept of how we want to do them. But now how do we take these six ideas and drill those down into episodes, drill those down into reels, drill those down into images, mm-hmm. and then hand those to Bergara and have deliverables and also have something that we're proud of. Um, and, you know, we're two, two, two of six in, um, and uh, it's going well. I mean, I'm happy with how they're going. And now the, the next ones are going to be hunting ones, which, you know, that's what we've been trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very fortunate to have someone like Regar who lets us go do two episodes that don't even have a gun in them. Mm-hmm. No, like they don't care. They just want the story. They want the, the passion. They want the, what the, what these companies should care about, which is the people, the people on the ground doing the things, mm-hmm. um, and not whoring a gun in your face every episode. You know, that's, there's something to be said for that. Um, anyway, you said you had some examples. Yeah. So. Uh, I think, let's see. If you're not watching the video portion of this, sorry for your luck. Um, and I've thought about doing a reading club with the Redneck Tech. I just don't know how many people would do it. So, if Ooh, you... What would a reading club entail? Uh, like, reading. And then getting on and talking about it? Yeah. Having, like, a discussion about it or whatever. Well, heck, we could make that part of the podcast. Uh, we could. You'd have to read. Uh, do they sell an audiobook? I'm not reading. I listen to an audiobook all day. I ain't reading. Um, the f- I don't have the patience to read, dude. I can sit and listen to one going down the road, but I can't sit down at night and read a book. Just can't do it. I, l- I do it like going to bed. That's usually when I read. That's when I watch my series that I want to talk about. I usually watch a series and then I'll go to bed. Mm. But also I have a lot more disposable time than you do. So mm, Yeah, well, I'm um, usually yelling at a kid to get back in the bed. The first book, oh, man. Apparently, I decided to take notes about when I read this. I read this eight years ago. Nice. In 2015. So, I guess I've been, that would have been the first year I was, um, that would have been the first year I was doing this. Young young Buck. Young Buck. So, the first uh, book that I read uh, is called In the Blink of an Eye, A Perspective on Film Editing, Second Edition. And it's by Walter Murch. And uh, if you guys don't know who Walter Murch is, you've probably seen some of his work. He's a really influential um, editor, obviously. And he edited The Conversation, America Graffiti, Julia, Apocalypse Now, The Godfather Part 2 and 3, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, House of Cards, Ghost, Crumb, The English Patient, and The Talented Mr. Ripley, I'm sure, among other things. Um and this is a lot about like his approach to editing, how he makes cuts, why he make cut makes cuts, um, and some of like the behind the curtain stuff. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first one I read. I would I definitely would recommend that to people. I think it's an awesome book. Um, the next one that I read. Was called it's the conversations. Not a, not a big book. No, too. it's a fairly small book. Uh, the next one pages is the conversations. Uh, Walter Murch and the art of editing film, and that is basically, um, 
basically a guy having conversations with the same dude, Walter, on his approaches to uh, kind of some of the different pieces of work that he that he made. Uh, and this one was really insightful, so I like that one. Uh, I have two more that I'm currently this reading. This is the same author as this one? It's a, it's a different author, the same, like, it's kind of like an interview format. So the author will ask questions and oh. Walter will answer them. And so it was over the course of a few different interviews and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. Um, so there's that one that I really liked. It's got pictures, mm-hmm. solid references. Um, I'm reading two right now. One of them is kind of, I think it's the same author as this, but it is... Michael Onda, however you say that name. Onda, uh, sure. whatever. Uh, but it is the same concept, except for instead of one editor, he's got like interviews with tons of editors. Mm-hmm. Everybody from um, movie editors to TV editors, working in all kinds of genres of film and TV and documentary. So... That one kind of goes step by step through all of their workflows and how they're handling, um, how they handle basically their approaches from. I'm showing it in case people want to see it. From the like idea to getting the footage, organizing their works, their workspaces, how Mm -hmm. they're pulling. dailies and selects and all of those kind of stuff, like all the technical bits and pieces that yeah. go behind stuff. And then also their approaches to music and pacing and all of these kind of things. Uh, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. And then I have a few of these, but these are just photo books. Yeah, I've seen that one in your thing. And so this one is National Geographic Greatest Portraits. But these are just good to flip through. Like something like this is good to flip through because I mean these are some of the most uh, influential and artistic photos of I don't know however long National Geographic has been. You know, National Ge- Geographic is known for incredible documentary photography, mm-hmm. and so flipping through this book and being able to see kind of all of these different pictures is great for just viewing stuff that's excellent and being able to see, you know, all of these different photos and how they're composed and how they're lit and how they're colored and all of those kind of things and trying to kind of dissect it in your brain and having that as a reference when you're shooting and taking pictures. Uh, I have another one, the, um, what's it called? Photos from the Edge by Jimmy Chin. Because uh, Jimmy Chin's ridiculous, mm-hmm. and so I like to flip through those. And he's got actual like writing and stories with his. And then the magazine that uh, I just subscribed to, which I did not know existed until you I was flying to BC. Yeah, I went and uh, walked into the Delta Lounge, and they had like you know the case of magazines, and I saw one said the American Cinematographer, and. It's a magazine from the uh, American Society of Cinematographers. That's ASC. So if you've ever wondered why somebody has ASC at the end of their name, it's because they're part of the American Society of Cinematographers, which 
Uh, I don't want to be a part of the ASC necessarily. I would like to have ACE behind my name, which is America Cinema, American Cinema Editors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's cool to just have ACE after your name. Yeah. <laughs> I, and if you think that at some point when I when I get ACE at the end of my name, uh, you don't think that that's going on every single <laughs> everything with my name, you're mistaken. Also, Isn't it like a yearly fee too, though? Yeah, but <laughs> put ACE on all your stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Worth it. But this is cool. I haven't really got, like, I haven't read a whole ton of them. I'm kind of working through. But what's your initial thoughts on that one? I like it. Um, it has one, obviously, they've got all of the advertisements for all of the newest products. Naturally. You know, like there's a Teradek, let's see, Alexa 35. Uh, I guess a show, the Black Magic Pocket Cinema 6K, uh, a company that specializes in car-mounted uh, cranes and dollies and such, which we'll never get to use. <laughs> um, but basically, all the things. So it's cool because uh, I I try to keep up on the tech. There's just too much tech coming out all the time, so. Uh, I was like, oh, cool. I'll be able to see what different things are. And as I go through here, you know, maybe there's something that would be useful for us. Uh, It has a section called Shotcraft at the very beginning, which is basically like this little technical tutorial discussion section explaining different things. This one has kind of an article on exploring cinematography through a single frame and... It's basically, you won't be able to see it, but it's basically talking about how you can look at a frame, um, pick it apart, determine where the lighting sources are coming from, determine the intensity of the lighting sources, and then using that information to recreate the frame as a way of practicing, mm-hmm. which is something that um, I would like to do. Just would love to have time point. to do that. <laughs> um, and then, like, they have, like, any magazine articles. Um, this first article that I read was called In the Driver's Seat for Gran Turismo. And it's essentially kind of a behind-the-scenes look of how they shot Gran Turismo, which I went and saw in theaters two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, they're talking about their approach to shooting it, what cameras they're using, how they rigged them up, um, where and how they're getting coverage locations, all that stuff. And so, you know, just like any magazine, it's going to have a ton of those kind of uh, interviews. Like this has In the Driver's Seat for Gran Turismo, Cinematic Instincts, uh, Fadon Papamichael discusses his career and key aspects of his latest feature, Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny. All the Worlds is set. AC presents an in-depth primer on international production, uh, and a article on drone cinematography experts in the field discuss the techniques and equipment they use to achieve dynamic off-the-ground perspectives. So just you never know what you're going to get necessarily with it, but it's just a ton of cool things and interviews and discussions with people who are in the industry. And I think, I think part of what's driven me to like want this kind of stuff as opposed to just going to YouTube is... I think just the same way as at the be I felt this way. I don't know if it's necessarily the case anymore, but at the beginning of your career, you know, you feel like there's a wall 
of knowledge that you can't seem to access the other side of it. Obviously, part of why we do this is because for you in the hunting industry, it was like, well, I can find all the information I want on like how to film an indie home movie, mm. but I don't know about tree arms. I don't know about what do I carry with me on an elk hunt? How do I film a turkey hunt? What gear is somebody using in a hunting context? Mm-hmm. And, you know, people weren't talking about that. And so that's where this was born out of. And I feel... Um, I feel the same way about once you reach a, a certain point in your career as an ed- editor and cinematographer and documentarian or whatever it may be, the access to those resources become. You can bring it up here. Become significantly. Uh, Thank you, my beautiful wife, bringing me a sweet tea from Chick Fil A. Thanks, don't babe. Spill it on your computer this time. Shut up. <laughs> that was a Zaxby's. That wasn't Chick-fil-A. Um, they become significantly decreased, and that's because, one, the amount of people who have reached that level are very small, and, two, the people who are at that level don't have time to be making YouTube videos. Yeah. I mean, even I would not say that we're at an incredibly high level, but even us, we have a hard time finding the time to do this and to yeah. make the YouTube videos for Redneck Tech. And the more advanced you get, the harder it is to do those things because it takes a lot more time to talk about them in depth. And so I, I feel like I keep getting to this point where I'm like Googling and I can't find the answers to the question that I'm searching for. And I know that the answers are out there. Yeah. I know that there's people who are doing whatever it is I'm trying to do and have the information that I'm trying to access. But you're not really, you're going to have a hard time finding that on a YouTube. I think YouTube is great for finding entry-level, intermediate-level tutorial stuff because it's easy to make a tutorial on, uh, you know, L-cuts and J-cuts and a whip-pan transition and this kind of graphic effect and this, that, and the other. But when you're looking to do more advanced level things if you're looking to um, step up your ability to produce and edit at a more commercial, more Netflix series, more network TV that's not the hunting channel's level, that information isn't just on YouTube because yeah. those people aren't putting it there. Yeah, The people who are making YouTube content largely, now there are exceptions, there's... Um, there's, oh, what's that guy that Clay always watched? Shane Hurlbut. Mm. You know, there's people like him who are putting out phenomenal stuff, but they're few and far between. Uh, so books and magazines and things of that nature are where you're going to find the next level of knowledge. And so that's why uh, I find myself trying to find these resources yeah. to be able to consume so that I'm not stuck with the level of not the highest level of knowledge that's accessible on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I want the highest level of knowledge that's accessible anywhere. Yeah. And I think it's going to be stuff like this. Yeah. But I think it, it also goes again to aspirations to not necessarily not do hunting, but to do better at what we're doing to cross genres, to get more into bigger budget things. And just like what you said, like, if we wanted to do a Netflix series or an Amazon Prime series or 
anything like that, the reason they're better is because they take more time. They take more people. They take more stuff. They, it just, I mean, that's they one take of the, more knowledge. They take more everything. Um, they cost way more, but th- there's a reason that they cost way more, and that we're not going to get into those weeds, but um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Um, let me look at something really quick. I can't remember. I'm supposed to. Oh, yeah, i got to leave in 15 minutes. Um, so the uh, let me jump into real quick the one thing I want to talk about since we only get 15 minutes before I got to leave. Um, kind of it's completely off subject from what you were talking about, but um, it's I guess not really. I guess I can kind of tie it back in. For, we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but everybody knows my favorite series of all time was the newsroom. Um, so I. Aaron Sorkin wrote and directed the newsroom, so I wanted to kind of dive down the Aaron Sorkin rabbit hole. And I've I've seen the Social Network, which he also did. I've seen um, what was the other one? There's another big movie that he did um, that I watched it. They, eh, they, I mean, they were great, but they just didn't do it for me like the the newsroom did. So he did the West Wing, which came out in the early 2000s. And it was a much more in-depth series similar to the newsroom. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to dive down the West Wing rabbit hole. And I dove very deeply. And me and you talked about it a couple of times as it had some really strong characters, but I just didn't fall in love with those characters. Mm -hmm. And now that I finished the series, I don't know why I didn't fall in love with them because I'm not even going to sit here and lie about it. I had tears in my eyes when it was over with. Um, that he, he did a – it was very – did I like it as much as the newsroom? No. Um, I still love the characters in the newsroom more. But by the end of it, I, I loved multiple characters in the newsroom after two and a half seasons. And then six or seven seasons of West Wing. And there's like 26 episodes in a season. So it's – Mm-hmm. very in-depth library. It was a big under, like I didn't think I was ever going to get done. But about season four is where it changed for me. And I can't put my finger on why, to be completely honest. And I want to watch it again. Just like we said, we want to go watch Oppenheimer again. Up until about the third-ish, fourth-ish season, I mean, this is you know, 70-something episodes in, mm-hmm. I was like, it's good it's very Aaron Sorkin. I mean, the dialogue is never ending. It is relentless. The, there's never a dull moment. There's the very occasional, every 10 to 15 episodes, he'll put in a very meaningful montage. That's the only time you don't have dialogue. It is, and they're using, I mean, it's, it's about the West Wing and the White House, obviously. So they're talking about very, very high-level stuff all the time. Budgets and this organization, that organization, this senator, this congressman, this this political strategy, this political operative, this, 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 and this, and this. And again, I'm not a political guy. I mean, I have, you know, political views, but this is very left-leaning. I mean, the, all these, every one of them are crazy liberals. Every one of them. Um, but like I said, I loved all the characters, like loved so many characters in the newsroom. By the end of it, by the end of season six, I think is the end of it, that president, Jed Bartlett, I love that guy. He was the Will McAvoy of the West Wing, or of Newsroom. And at the end, 
He was a crazy liberal economist. But that guy's character and the dialogue and the way he treated people and the way he stood his ground, the way he managed situations, the thought and passion that he, that actor put into the decisions he had to make as the president, that guy was awesome. Because by the end, the, the, essentially the series follows Jed Bartlett through his eight years of presidency. His first four years and his reelection. Spoilers, by the way. It's, I mean, it's a very old series, and I highly recommend you watch it. It is a giant investment. First four years of his presidency, then they do some flashbacks of how he got elected, why he ran. Um, his chief of staff is his best friend. Awesome freaking character. And then the second four years after his reelection, some major health issues that he hid from the public, and then you don't really know how you feel about that. And I guess that may be where it was the turning point for me is when he gets reelected, and they add this new facet to his character of he's not just the president, he's the president that has multiple sclerosis. And he is battling not only his job, his wife that wants him to slow down the public who has a perception of him now, and him himself fighting his own mortality of like, you know, I could die. Mm -hmm. Um, or, Or I could be incapacitated where I can't do this job that he loves so much. And at the very end, again, I'm giving some major spoilers, but this is... This is what really got me. This is what made the tears start coming. The whole time you're watching the series, and freaking Sorkin was slapping. He's so freaking smart. The whole time, like Jed Bartlett, leads by example. He's a leader to the core. He leads his troops. He leads all the people in the West Wing. And he's all about working. Like the dude's a work of freaking holic. Which, I mean, the president, you kind of have to be. Mm-hmm. And but and I also compare him to what we have in office now, and like I would much rather have the liberal Jet Bartlett in there than what we have now. But anyway, he's leading by example. He's taking the bull by the horns. He's being the leader. And every time that he'll he, – he's one of those guys, he's very task-oriented. He focuses on a task. He sees it through until he's either delegated it, handled it, or it's fixed or it's not going to get fixed. And he always says, what's next? Like, is literally, that was his line, is he would get he would bring them into the room, they'd talk about this, that, and the other, he'd be like, okay, and he would literally end the meeting, what's next? And it was just always, constantly throughout the series, through the first however many hundred episodes, that was always his line. Is like, that was, and, it, and he did a good job of conveying, when he says what's next, that means whatever was just talked about is over with. I want the next thing. Give me the next thing. And at the very end, the whole last season is his last year in office and the two guys that are running to replace him after eight years and how essentially they've what they went out and found what they think is the next Jed Bartlett to run as the Democrat. And then there's a Republican that's more of a right-center Republican. And they have these issues that they are staunchly don't agree on, but there are some things they do agree on and they're trying to figure out how to run their campaigns not agreeing type thing. And essentially at the very end, the Jed Bartlett protege type person gets elected and it is the very end. They're in the Oval Office. It's like his first day in office. They bring in the meeting. He does just like Jed Bartley brings in. He handles the meeting. He commands the meeting, ends it, and he goes, what's next? And I'm like, son of a and it just gut punched me, 
because I didn't see it coming. I should have seen it coming. Yeah. And because he he handled it, he did everything just like I'd watched do five hundred times through the series. And then he just is like, what's next? And they bring in the next thing. And it's just boom, 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 boom. And it was just that two words, what's next? That thread that he threaded through every episode of that, Mm -hmm. that at the very end, man, freaking just gut punched me. Because it's like, that's not Jed Bartlett saying it. Now it's Matt Santos saying it. And And Jed's now on Marine One flying to be flown back home to New Hampshire where he's from to be with his family and like he's not there anymore and I know the series is ending I mean I knew it was the last episode mm-hmm. you know and they they set it up like you can see the the story aren't ending but it's like you don't want it to end I didn't want it to end I wanted to see what Matt Santos did because I've seen what Jeb Bartlett did I wanted to see how his fictitious United States did you know because they're battling battling issues that we're battling now still and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to make their compromises. They're trying to make you know make everybody happy. They're trying not to say you know because they you know those guys in the West Wing thought you know Republicans were idiots. You know that's what they you know that's what the guys under him did. But anytime they would go to Jed with it, Jed was always the voice of reason. He was always like you know y'all might think that, but y'all got to look at it this way. You got to look at it this way. And they all respected him, even when they didn't agree with him. They still like he's the president. We're here to support him and do what he wants to do. And he like created this. I guess I just I, I, I vicariously looked at it like what I want to be or want to do or want to have. I guess he created a team and he created this these guys that you know his deputy chief of staff, his chief of staff, his um, communications director, his speech writers, and these people that are around him that insulate him that help push his agenda out. He created this team that these guys would have freaked. They would literally have like died for him. Like they just loved him so much and believed everything that he did. And when they'd screw up, they knew they screwed up and how he handled their screw ups and how he would let them essentially not only take responsibility, but how they, they were more, they were more upset than he was because they knew they had screwed up or they knew they had done something wrong and then there's a point in there where his chief of staff has a heart attack. They have a really hard time. And uh, in the hospital, Jed goes to him. He's like, I need a new chief of staff. Are you going to be better? And he's like, I'll never be able to do it again, essentially. He's like, well, who's going to take your place? I need some names. And he's like him hawing around about giving him names. And he comes back. He's like, I need the names. Like, who, who's going to – like, somebody's got to be my chief of staff. And uh, he's like, there's only one name. And, like, the whole time you're sitting there, you have in your head who's going to be the next chief of staff. Who can do it? And it's not who you think when it eventually reveals who the chief of staff is, but it's uh, exactly who should have been the chief of staff the whole time after he's just – I get so pissed because he's so good at writing it and the characters are so good at playing it. You just get – I just started getting so invested in that story. And it's, but then again, I start to think about, okay, how now, this is Redneck Tech Podcast, how do I take those ideas and those concepts and those stories and those characters and those things and, and apply them to what we're doing? Well, I, I'm not going to say you can't because you can, but essentially, how do I make someone fall in love with a story? And, and, and 
and you're not comparing apples to apples because because I don't have six seasons and hundreds of episodes to do it. Mm-hmm. I wish I did. I wish somebody would come and say, "Hey, I'm going to give you budget to do a hundred episodes." Because then you can tell a friggin' story. Then, like you can get into the Although details. To be fair, they're not getting ep- they're not getting funding. For <laughs> I know they get and funding for. I know they get funding <laughs> for the first season, and if it tanks, that's all you get. So, <clears throat> you know, I don't I don't know, but essentially, how do I take character development, story arc? How do I pull things from that? to apply it to some of the ideas that we've had in the office, some of the series ideas, the documentary ideas, the show ideas, the you name it. And it's like, you know what? I've come to the realization I'm just not that good. I'm not even remotely close to what to, to, the, to the how he can look so far ahead and plant a seed that grows. And that just makes me so mad that I'm not that good. I, well, think that I, think, may, I think that's what part of it is. Like, I watch it, and I want to be that, but I'm not. I Nor would I ever be. Is, I mean, they are in a narrative space. We're not in a narrative space. Yeah. So, you don't, you don't necessarily plant the seeds as much as you find the seeds. Yeah. You know, I think that's... Look at you. It's philosophical. I, well, <laughs> but I've, I feel like that's not a whole lot different from what I've said before. I think that... You know, you go into something and you may think you have these ideas on how you want the thing to go, but, you know, over the course of shooting and editing that thing, um, you'll find what that thread is. Or you're very intentional about threading that through, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like in boot leather, you know, the the thread... And the intentionality is the hard work, right? So you're trying to constantly follow that thread. It doesn't matter what's happening. All of it always points back to that. It always points back to the boot leather. Yeah. Um, and so even if you don't plant that seed, you have to find it somewhere, right? So when I edit the episode... I know that at some point I need to bring it back to that somehow. Mm-hmm. When you're shooting the episode, you want to try to make sure that you're setting up scenarios and shooting things and doing interviews and getting the talking that at some point will get you that. And then when you're editing, you have to figure out where to use it. Um, but it's a whole different game than a narrative storytelling approach where you get to decide what that seed is. Yeah. You know, uh, and I don't know which is harder, you know, because narrative, it just has to come from nowhere, basically. With a documentary, you your choices or reality, not necessarily documentary, but also a documentary, uh, your choices are limited. Like you can't, you can't, uh, you can't find a seed that's not there. Yeah. And so you can try to force it. But that's kind of the difference in the processes, you know. And they're two really separate but similar approaches. And that's why, I mean, that's why there's some people who are just excellent, like writers, mm-hmm. you know. It makes me mad. There's I'm not a writer. And, I guess, that. and that's another thing that makes me mad. I'm just not a writer. Like not even the closest thing to it. No. And I just, I love 
like not like book type writing, but like good, like Yellowstone, like love, well written, gut punches. But like, you could be a writer. All you got to do is write. Yeah. I mean, are you going to be Aaron Sorkin? No. No. But I bet <laughs> no, if you. No, 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 I'm not. But I bet if you if you sat down and were like, okay, I want to be a better writer. I would like to be able to write better stories. And you sat down and you started writing a story and you hated yourself for writing a story and how bad it was. Like every edit I did for the first three years of my life. Yeah, eventually you would get better at writing stories. Yeah. You know? I got to go. It's 2.45. But I want to keep, I would love to keep going. Maybe we can make a part two of this. I like the spitballing. Yep. I, like, I like this. We'll go spitballing part two next time. All right, I got to go, guys. Very, very sorry. But, uh, Ryan, are you going to be able to uh, upload and do all this to this too? Because I got to go. Uh yeah I'm I'm waiting on VO I may not get it today so okay. I might that there might we might just be putting a pin in that edit till I get back all right guys thanks peace.